0: from KQED.
1: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos, and today for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the GOP presidential race is heating up with more than a dozen hopefuls vying to take on former president and frontrunner Donald Trump. On the Democratic side, President Biden is talking up the economy, hoping it'll lift up his dismal approval ratings. In this hour, we'll break down the latest on the presidential race and how issues like today's affirmative action decision, the economy, the war in Ukraine, and Trump's legal woes could shape. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and today for Mina Kim. The 2024 election is still over a year away, but you wouldn't know it by the way things are heating up. More than a dozen Republicans have jumped into the race to challenge frontrunner Donald Trump, whose legal woes are mounting. Meanwhile, President Biden is touting the achievements of Bidenomics, even as polls show only about a third of voters approve of his handling of the economy. In this hour, we're going to talk about candidates to watch key issues like affirmative action, abortion, the war in Ukraine, and how all those Trump investigations are likely to play out. Joining us are Joe Garofoli, senior political writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, Joe.
3: Hey, good to be back.
1: And Carol Lenning, investigative reporter at The Washington Post. Carol, thanks for being here.
3: Glad to rejoin you, Marissa.
1: So I know I want to get into Carol's been doing some amazing investigations into the Trump investigations, because that's where we're at now is investigations into investigations. (laughs) But I do want to start with the news of the day, which is the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. Uh, Joe, SCOTUS ruled that race conscious admission programs at Harvard and the (laughs) University of North Carolina are unconstitutional. Um. You know, we're going to be digging into the details of this legal ruling in the days ahead. But politically, what do you think this does? I mean, this is not like the Dobbs decision where you really have um, a majority of Americans, you know, kind of opposing the majority of the court. This is a very sensitive and pretty evenly split question when you poll about it, right?
4: Yeah. And surprisingly, here in California, uh, where you think that there would be a lot of support for affirmative action... We voted against it overwhelmingly a couple of years ago. Fifty-seven percent of people uh, voted uh, essentially against reinstating affirmative action here, and it was. And the reason uh, was that you know they can talk about the campaign and how it wasn't the the ballot measure wasn't clear, blah blah blah. But I, Shirley Weber, who is our current Secretary of State and helped to get this on the ballot, had a had an interesting way of putting this to me. Uh, she said. Uh, at the same time, Californians voted in the same ballot. Californians voted to support Prop Seventeen, which allowed people on parole uh, for a felony conviction to vote, and. Uh, they over, uh, proved that overwhelmingly. I said, well, what about affirmative action? Why, why, did pe- why do you think people didn't uh, support it? Uh, over-? And she said, that didn't cost anybody anything. You didn't have to give up your vote in order to give them a vote. Mm-hmm. She said, when people were confronted with a choice between their son going to UCLA and your son going to UCLA, are they big enough and willing enough to make that sacrifice? Because it's a limited number of resources.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And there are very few liberals who are going to give up much of what they have for you. They will expand the franchise, but will they give up their seat?
1: Interesting. So this idea that if it's affecting you personally and it's a, you know, there's a cost benefit analysis, but a sense that this is a zero sum game. I do want to um, call up uh, President Biden spoke just moments ago at the White House about this decision and we have a cut from him.
0: You know, I know today's court decision is a severe disappointment to so many people, including me. But we cannot let the decision be a permanent setback for the country. We need to keep an open door of opportunities. But,
1: Joe, I mean, race relations in general have become such a political hot potato. um, And something that, you know, I think Republicans and conservatives have really leaned in on is that what they see as a winning issue. Is there any risk the president runs by criticizing this or, you know, by maybe even you know, potentially pushing actions in the legislative branch or, you know, within the executive branch to try to mitigate this. I,
4: I was a little bit surprised. It was a bit of a milquetoast statement there. I didn't like come out and say, this is absolutely wrong. This is horrible, blah, blah, blah. So he it doesn't sound like he's really leaning into this. And I, I doubt if he will. He may on the, the campaign trail a, a little bit, but you know, he's he's trying to steer middle course, and, and, and this is – I it, it seems like – he doesn't seem this is a winning issue for him in the general election, which is he's looking for. He doesn't have any competition, obviously, in the primaries, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Uh, but he, I was – I thought he'd be a little bit more forceful than that, some kind of <laughs> – I'm kind of tepid (laughs)
1: uh carol lenning i mean what are your thoughts here in dc i know that this i mean this is a decades-long debate and it's certainly not going to be put to rest with this decision but uh, what how do you see this kind of playing out politically you know here in washington marissa
3: a lot of people have been watching this particular session of the court with a lot of anxiety um they kind of feel as though they know Democratic and progressive voters and activists kind of feel they know what the super major, super majority of conservatives who now own the court will do and would have done on the Harvard and the North Carolina University um, decisions. They feel like they, they could have predicted this. Right. But it's still something that guts. Their view of how universities and colleges should be proceeding, making sure that there is an affirmative effort to create space for equally qualified uh, minority students. And it is another kind of return to exactly what they believe the conservative supermajority was was installed, nominated and, uh, and confirmed to accomplish
1: for the conservative right. Yeah. And I mean, and either of you jump in here. It, it just does seem, though, that even as we see Democrats really push a lot of these issues to the forefront, especially since 2020 and George Floyd, that it's been it, it's not always as simple as, you know, we're for equality and for civil rights. And that leads to bigger shares of the electorate. I mean, it, it's a sticky political issue.
4: All racial politics, really. It, it is. And, and this is I mean, this is a win. If you've Going to call it a win for anybody. It's it, it, this is a win for Trump because of uh, what Carol was alluding to. He's the guy who was president when they put on this conservative majority. He's going to say, "Hey, this is another win for the conservative majority that I uh, shepherded onto the court with Mitch McConnell's help." Uh, and so, I mean, that's th- this. Uh, Chalk went up for Trump on right. this one.
1: Well, that's a great segue, Carol. I want to check in with you about the, the reporting you've been doing on Donald Trump and all these investigations. And I mean, it kind of gets to this uneasy relationship that the right has with law enforcement right now. I mean, they're loving the Supreme Court, but um, you've been reporting that the FBI itself has been very reticent to or was reticent to really undertake some of the more intensive investigations and searches of the former president. Um Fill us in on yeah, what you found. Yeah.
3: You know, we worked on this for two different pieces for many, 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 many weeks. And the two takeaways from both of them were that for different reasons, senior justice officials in the Biden Department of Justice in the Biden administration and FBI agents and FBI senior officials were extremely extremely reluctant to kind of go hard in investigating evidence of crimes by Donald Trump. What what do I mean by that? Let's start with the classified records case. In that case, you and, you and I would be in jail uh, the day that the FBI raided our home and found a ton of classified records that we had not returned. We would be arrested because we didn't comply with the subpoena in which we claimed we returned all the records. That's what Donald Trump did. The problem is he's a former president, and the FBI has had a pretty tortuous relationship with investigating Donald Trump. You know, the Russian uh, operatives' efforts to interact with Donald Trump's campaign led to a huge black eyes and pain and career sort of failures for uh, and humiliation for a lot of senior FBI leaders, not least of which was FBI Director Jim Comey, who was accused of weaponizing the FBI, first to harm the campaign of Hillary Clinton when he announced that they were reopening an investigation into her emails on the eve of the election. And then later, his deputy director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, was accused of weaponizing the FBI to bring down Donald Trump, part of the deep state that Donald Trump said was coming for him without good information just basically politically opposed to him. So the FBI has taken some hits. And when it came time to confront that he had been basically hoarding classified records in his private Florida club years after he had left, after he had left the White House, the FBI said, you know, we are not going to raid the club, even if there's evidence that He is still holding on to these records and not complying with our subpoena because he's a former president and we are going to ask for his permission to go to his property. Prosecutors laughed at that and said, are you kidding me? We can't trust him. We can't trust his lawyers. It's time to do a surprise unannounced raid on his property. Prosecutors won the day in that argument, but it really told you everything you needed to know about how the FBI was worried about that. The second story we did looked at how both the Justice Department and the FBI were wary of looking at evidence of crimes by Donald Trump and his allies in trying to fraudulently claim fraud in the election and and also trying to overturn the results. You know, Donald Trump famously used every lever available to him to try to stay in power after he lost the presidential election in 2020. And one of the steps he took was encouraging people to come to Washington, his supporters, and fight like hell to stop the certification of Biden's victory on January 6th. And we all know how that ended.
1: That is Carol Enning. She's an investigative reporter at The Washington Post. Here with me also is Joe Garofoli, senior political writer for The San Francisco Chronicle. We're talking about Donald Trump, the 2024 presidential race, and all of the candidates now (laughs) challenging Trump. Um, And we want to hear from you. What questions do you have about the presidential field? If you're a Democrat, are you happy with Biden as a nominee? If you're a Republican voter, who are you supporting? Are you worried about Trump's legal problems? Would you want to support a third-party candidate? We're going to talk about that. RFK Jr. and others. Um, You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also send us an email to forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on social media. We are at KQED Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in this week for Mina Kim. And we will be back after a short break to talk more about this presidential race which feels like it's around the corner and kind of is and kind of isn't. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. And today for Mina Kim here with Joe Garofoli, senior political writer at the San Francisco Chronicle and Carol Lenning, investigative reporter at the Washington Post. We're talking about the presidential race coming up in 2024. Um, And Joe Garofoli, as we mentioned, there are now over a dozen candidates in the Republican field. It's sort of confusing considering how strong Trump looks in the polls and how reticent other Republicans are to go after him. I mean, what do you make of this? And like, are are these just Hail Marys? Do any of these folks have a chance? Like, why are they running if they're yeah, I, just going to make this guy mad?
4: Yeah, no, I think about eight, eight of them are, are Hail Marys. Uh, and, and and obviously, some of these folks are running for vice president. I, I still do not get, I, I, I get and I don't get the the reticence to go after Trump. I mean, why are you running for president if you're not going to draw a distinction between yourself and someone who's under indictment in multiple jurisdictions. Uh, it's just gutless. Yeah. It's gutless is what it is. And, and, and I, I just don't understand. At the same time, I understand they don't want to, you, know, uh, uh, you know, offend Trump's base. And he still has a very, you know, rock solid of 35 percent of the Republican base behind him, no matter what. I mean, and that, that extends to California. California. Yeah, talk about those Oh, polls. my goodness. Well, first of all, California is going to matter. For a change in the Republican presidential uh, primary process, the the primary is early enough in the cycle. Voters are going to be getting their ballots in February, just a few weeks after uh, the first couple of uh, caucuses and primaries. You're
1: giving me anxiety, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
4: so soon. <laughs> they're already they're already out here uh, raising money and uh, setting up a camp. Um, but uh, and and you know California it. It's, you won't have someone come in and it's not a winner take all state. They're going to have to, candidates will have to camp, you know, they can campaign. It's the, the delegates are allotted by congressional district. So that means candidates will have to campaign all over the place. And, uh, that means, and we have more delegates than any other state. So there is, there is reason to be out here, but Trump is still, uh, you know, he's ahead here and a recent poll said, pointing to what, the uh, to what Carol was just talking about, uh, 70% of the, of the uh, Republicans in California think all these investigations should be halted. Uh, and 86% say that they're more about politics and political revenge than about justice and the law. Only uh, like a quarter feel like he, he did anything wrong. And he was, but
1: you also see polls where Republicans say, "Yeah, he broke the law, but we don't care." Too, I mean, it's it's really, you know, this coalescing that's fascinating. They
4: did, and they coalesced. DeSantis was actually winning in California in February. I, I went to the Republican convention, California Republican convention. People were saying, "Tom McClintock, very conservative congressman here in California, said that I'm I'm leaning towards DeSantis." Doug Malfo represents the most the Trumpiest part of California, Northern California. Goes, I'm not decided yet. Even for him to say I'm not decided is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, So these but yet that has flipped as the more trouble he gets in, the more people rally around him, even in California, which is, you know, it's a little bit more of a you'll find a few more moderate Republicans here than you might elsewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, Caroline, I know um, Ron DeSantis is not facing anything near the legal challenges of Donald Trump, but there has been some reporting on questions over him steering COVID-19 federal money to a project uh, benefiting a political donor. What, what What's yeah. the status of that? Has there been, I mean, this is mostly just being called out, right? There's not actually like an investigation or anything. No,
3: not yet at this point. My great colleagues at the Washington Post just broke this story late, late last night about him steering uh, hundreds of thousands of emergency COVID relief money to a major donor that helped this donor basically get a cloverleaf on a highway to land um, that made obviously that land a lot more valuable. I mean, it's a kind of a classic 1950s um, <laughs> patronage uh, or a graft, alleged graft kind of gimme to a donor. I remember writing about those in North Carolina when the governor was steering specific projects to people that were going to end up funding his campaign. And it's just amazing that that's what DeSantis appears to have been up to in Florida. I don't know that it's ever going to rise to the level of the kinds of federal and state charges that uh, Donald Trump is facing, but you know, think about the pros and cons for both of these people. DeSantis doesn't face uh, a, a serious criminal investigation at this point into this matter. Uh, He's not been indicted, (laughs) and yet he is trailing big time in every kind of way in terms of name recognition and popularity with Donald Trump, the man who is running essentially to be the first president who may be um, convicted and or imprisoned. Uh, There are all sorts of sort of mind-bending, unprecedented territory that we are entering with Donald Trump based on the charges he currently faces and a trial that he will like, likely, um, Be engaged in at the end of this year.
1: Yeah. Can you walk us through, Carol, like what is happening with that? I know uh, the judge in Florida set a trial date for later this summer, and there's been uh, some move by prosecutors to delay that. But there's also, you know, the New York case over hush money payments. There's um, the Georgia investigation. We're expecting a grand jury to be convened this summer over, you know, the attempts there to overturn the 2020 election. Like, what do the next few months (laughs) look like from a legal perspective? Uh,
3: I mean, there are a lot of reporters that are going to have to cancel all their summer vacation because it's like, okay, Fannie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, has at different times telegraphed that she expects to bring a massive RICO case against Trump and many others. I mean, she hasn't said it that way, but that is what we are learning from reporting, that she's going to likely be bringing that kind of enormous sweeping case Uh, in late summer, maybe August, as early as August. It might be delayed a little bit, but that could be a fairly big deal. She's looking at, obviously, the fake elector effort by Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and others in late 2020 to try to set up a situation in which key swing votes would swing their Electoral College votes to Trump and also so that they could pressure then-Vice President Pence to delay certifying the election on January 6th. It was all towards delaying the crowning of Biden as the appropriate president-elect and president, and hopefully so that Trump could himself hold on to that title. Then on top of that, we have the, I think the most dramatic charges are the, right now anyway, are the classified records charges. Again, as I mentioned, you and I would be in jail right now We would have been arrested and charged in uh, August of last year after the raid on our home if we had those records that Donald Trump had, which were stamped top secret and secret and confidential. Uh, Those charges, you're right, a, a judge set the possible trial date as early as August. But that's really the speedy trial clock that is sort of an automatic conclusion. And the prosecutors have the right to ask for a little more time, as does Donald Trump. Um, The prosecutors are saying, look, we're dealing with a lot of classified records here, and we're going to have to go through a very extensive procedure before we start discussing all these classified records in court. Um, That's that's just part of, of any case that involves classified records. And they're asking for this to really unfold much, much later towards the end of the year.
1: Uh, I want to bring in a caller, John in Petaluma. John, go ahead.
2: Oh, hi. Um, I, I'm responding to um, a comment uh, what the, the fellow made on your panel there. Uh, he said uh, he was kind of perplexed as to why none of the republican candidates are um, challenging trump since he is the front runner for the republican nomination and my thought on that is first of all they, the obvious one is they they don't want to upset the base vote they want that vote but what it suggests is that all of these desantis all of them are leading from behind they're not leaders in the sense of instructing or showing a different uh, vision for the country, and they're they're basically following the mob, as it were. And um, someone once said in politics, you can't get get out in front of the front runner if you're always kissing his ass. And that's what they're all doing. That's my my thought. All right. Thanks, That's a a bumper sticker for you.
1: Um, Well, we have another listener who says, I wish the media would stop assisting Trump's domination of coverage as they did in 2016, which helped elect him. I like Haley and Christie. Speaking of two people who have really well, Christie has not Christie. pulled his punches.
4: Wow, last night he was on—I think he was on CNN uh, or News Nation or one of the, Going after one of the networks. that works Jared Kushner. Oh my God, he, he literally called out the the Trump family as grifters, uh, and and Trump uh, Christie's, you know, as a as someone just for purely for enjoyment purposes and entertainment purposes. I hope he gets those. 40,000 donations so he can get on, at least make one debate stage because he may be the only person challenging Trump on anything because yeah. uh, the, the rest of them won't. But he has a he has a, a, a gigantic hill to climb. He's he's in it purely to uh, to swing punches, at, throw punches at Trump. I don't you know if he's yeah. a chance of winning.
1: I mean, Carol Lening, what do you think as a reporter when you hear this? <laughs> oh, we're over-recovering Trump. I mean, a lot of the coverage you're doing is to point out I mean, things that maybe opponents of Trump would say make him unelectable or or, or me, you know mean that he should not be president again. Um, but I do think this is something we've struggled with in the media since he came down that escalator, which is like how much attention to pay and how to cover him.
3: Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, I've spent the last five years writing about him and uh, writing books about him, writing daily stories about him, writing investigative pieces about him, and it's hard to turn away from the person who is the standard bearer for the party and the kind of poll numbers that show he is the leading candidate. That is one thing he is not um, hyperbolic about. It just is true. And, you know, there's a reason why people have concluded he's their savior. You know, there's a part of the American public that believes neither party was really talking to them, addressing their issues, respecting their... Uh, value system, and whether that was white supremacy or believing their kids should get into college and no no position or seat should be held for a minority kid from a lower-income community, whatever the reason, they feel that Donald Trump speaks for them. And it's a considerable part of America that is is with him, and not the least of which wealthy uh, Republicans who believe that whether or not he actually delivered on any of his campaign promises the day that he came down that elevator they believe that he espouses and believes in the things that have helped uh american uh wealth holders Mm -hmm. and and supports um reducing regulations reducing taxes that thing he did deliver a tax break but i want to i want to add one other thing about that if you don't mind which is you know in washington we are seeing something interesting and new even though um the polls show a considerable base as the caller mentioned for donald trump there is a significant group of influencers and mainstream old guard republicans who are t- ponying up to tell everyone that will listen that donald trump is a serious danger to the country you know, this goes from Bill Barr, his former attorney general, uh, to uh, just just the other day, uh, Alberto Gonzalez, uh, George Bush's former attorney general. A host of people are either on television or in opinion pieces reiterating and reinforcing that the charges against this man are serious and warranted and raise questions about whether or not this man... Uh, not just raise questions, disqualify this man from being president again. I, I think that there's something kind of coordinated and interesting about how many people are all coming out at the same time with that kind of public front.
4: The, the challenge there is, is that while well, those people who, who, you know, are insiders who worked for Trump and are saying all these things, uh, that's one thing, but the base still loves Trump. Because he's a fighter. They, they could give a crap about anything else that, is, that he's done or said or been alleged to have done. They love the tone. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've written stories about, you know, the latest uh, turn about, uh, you know, what, what's happened to Trump, uh, indictment, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, talk to grassroots Republicans and, they, and they're like, I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't care. I, I, I'm i yeah. I'm with this guy. And, you know, and it's the it's the Fifth Avenue thing. Uh, all uh, That's that's what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was right. I mean, and before I want to bring in a caller who and I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Democratic side of things. But, Carol, just to be clear, I get this question a lot. From what we know, there's nothing in the Constitution that says even if he were convicted in these cases that he couldn't win and become president. Correct. That's right. There's nothing. And there's
3: nothing even, I mean, think about how many playbooks, Marissa, that we um, don't have to lean on in this situation. We, you know, I covered the Secret Service for a long, long time, wrote a lot about. That's problems. how we
1: met. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's
3: exactly how we met. And, um, you know, the Secret Service is scratching their heads right now. Like, what are they going to do if he's convicted and imprisoned? He's a former president who, by law, is. Uh, they're required to protect him? And will they now be literally having a Secret Service agent detail uh, three rotating shifts inside a federal prison? It's, hard, it's a hard subject to t- to tackle, but there's just so much that ground we've never trod before. And you raise a really important point. There's nothing that stops him
1: from uh, being convicted and continuing to campaign wild all right I want to bring in Sid in San Francisco Sid thanks for your patience go ahead oh no problem um, hi my name is Sid and um,
3: I love Biden he has done a great job in the last um, two and a half years three years and but I have a question that why not have um, a, a challenge in the
6: primaries on the Democratic side um, and even if he and if he um, still wins um, after having a challenge? Yeah. Then <clears throat> that's great, and may the best man win. And you know,
1: yeah. But not to have the challenge
6: at all for the party loyalty isn't the right thing. I think. All right.
1: Thanks. I'm sorry. Your line wasn't great, so I'm going to let Joe tackle that one. Yeah,
4: I, I asked Jimmy Carter about how that went when Ted Kennedy challenged him in <laughs> 1980. It's it it is yes. That's it should be that way. But I, strategically, Democrats have shooed everyone away, uh, in, including our our own governor here, Gavin Newsom.
1: I mean, is that. Because they're worried about it being messy or do you think there's this united front question or is it just the fact that I mean, I think there's a sense on the Biden side that he needs to be the one to be in that position if it's Trump running. But that leaves open this question of like, what if it's not Trump?
4: Yeah, that's well, that's a that's a big roll of dice. Uh, it, but they're they are They don't want him. You know, let's He's a he's a weak candidate. And any other he always says, compare me not to the alternative, but not to the almighty, but to the alternative in parentheses, if it's Donald Trump Uh, that, you know, but, you know, his poll numbers are weak. A lot of Democrats don't think he should run. They think he's too old, Um, and young people are really concerned about, are really not into Joe Biden at all. The and and they're like, tell me what you're for, not what you're against. Mm -hmm. They think, especially on the environmental, they think that he has not lived up to what he said he would do, even though you know that there was. I think we
1: have to say, like on the other hand, when you look at the legislative track record of this presidency, it's arguably one of, if not the most progressive. Track records in my lifetime, and they did do an enormous amount. I mean, they did. It does feel like the rhetoric is uh, more, you know, kind of what one of our listeners talked about. Just Trump dominates so much of this stuff, you know.
4: And the uh, going to the young people and and progressives in general, they you know they they bit their tongues a, a lot of times, uh, and they especially the the Bernie crowd, and they they all made peace uh, in in twenty twenty, and they said you know we're all on this for the team and uh, so they uh but they they feel they're that not, they're not, not they're, they're not in love. <laughs> they're not in love. They're in like.
1: We are talking about the presidential race uh, in 2024 with Joe Garofoli and Carol Lenning, both excellent reporters. We want to hear from you. Tell us what questions you have about the presidential field, or if you're a Democrat or Republican, are you happy with uh, the front runners, and would you consider supporting a third party candidate? I do want to get into that after the break. That could be a big X factor for Democrats. Give us a call eight three seven.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.
1: Welcome back to Forum. Marisa Lagos here for Mina Kim, and we're talking about the 2024 presidential race, and we do want to hear from you. Who are you supporting on either side of the aisle? Would you consider a third-party candidate? If you voted for Trump before, would you back a different GOP candidate? Do you have any questions for our Carol Lenning about the investigations into former President Trump? Call us now, 866-733-6786, or you can send us an email, forum at kqed.org, and find us on social media at KQED Forum. Bill writes There are a lot, a surprising number of pro Trump voters in California, such as Elon Musk and my stepmother. I wouldn't be surprised if Trump even comes to California for fundraisers. I agree bill i think uh, we are often the uh, piggy bank for oh. either side of the aisle here in california um and he mentioned elon musk i mean joe any thoughts on i know biden was out here recently meeting with the ai community and um doing his own fundraisers but we have seen kind of a backlash in the tech community to the Democrats, right? You do see some of these folks really pushing back against not just Biden, but kind of broader democratic politics and policies.
4: Right, against the sort of the failed promises of liberalism and progressivism. And we see that here in San Francisco as well. Uh, as That's, San Francisco is the, uh, is Exhibit A for many of the, the the tech bros in terms of what went wrong there. Uh, and, and in terms of fundraising, yeah, I mean, we've had Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, DeSantis have all been out here in the last couple of weeks for fundraisers as well as the president.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's talk about third-party candidates. We have um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running. He is a kind of known as an anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist, has said some pretty wild things, including recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, he's running in the Democratic primary. Um, and in some polls, he's got up to like a fifth of share of the votes, like 20%. But I don't think Democrats are worried about the primary, right? They would be worried if he or somebody else ran as a third party candidate.
4: Yes. And and those those numbers are, are soft. I mean, he, he's anywhere from 15 to 20% in, in a lot of polls. But l- let's be real. If his name was Robert Smith, Well, he'd be in The Cure, number one. But if his name was Robert Smith, nobody would give a crap about about, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., the in terms of the Democrats, is is his numbers are actually going down with Democrats and up with Republicans, which are is what's what's sort of floating him, and, and because he's appealing to the he's going on the Joe Rogan show. He's going next month. In fact, the, the head of the the San Francisco Demo, uh, Republican Party just said, "I'm I'm very excited to see Robert Kennedy Jr. <laughs> next month at Freedom Fest in Tennessee, which is this libertarian festival." So that's where he's going to go. I don't know if he if he makes a third party run, but there's you know the, there's this this movement to say there there if people aren't satisfied with the choices, uh, there could be a third party uh, movement here. You know they're not going to win. But they're going to chip away enough.
1: Well, that's the point, though, right? I mean, if you look back at the last election, I mean, the reason Trump is under investigation in Georgia is because he asked them to find, what, 11,000 votes. I mean, that is not a lot. If you look at Wisconsin, um, states, you know, like Georgia, Wisconsin, these are the places where these races are decided so a couple thousand votes for a third-party candidate could mean the difference.
4: Absolutely, and it, if it's a if it's a, a mansion uh, running, or if it's uh, some other sort of uh, center center left type of person, they could peel off a couple of votes. Mm-hmm. If it's a split ticket with with the uh, uh, Larry Hogan, the 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 uh, former or the former governor of uh, Maryland, who knows.
1: Well, Pamela writes, the GOP is basically done. They're showing the world and U.S. electors their inability to get beyond their support for this criminally indicted candidate, Trump. He doesn't have a chance of getting out of these indictments that prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that he stole classified documents and showed them to people who could potentially threaten U.S. interests both here and abroad. He must be punished or there's no justice in America. Pamela is not a fan of Trump, I guess. Um, Carol Lennon, though, I mean, she does bring up, uh, you know, abroad and we have all been watching very carefully carefully, obviously, what's happening in Ukraine, um, the sort of dust up this weekend in Russia. Um, what do you make, like when we talk about foreign policy, is that a conversation you think is really going to be part of this election? Is that something that people are talking about either when it comes to Biden or the, the GOP kind of huge field here?
3: You know, it's funny how much uh, Republicans have sort of seeded one of their favorite um, peons to the party, which is their traditional love of defending our our nation's security from Russia, <laughs> you know that's no longer uh, num- comment number one. Ever since the investigation into Russian efforts to influence the twenty twenty election. Uh, as I think Joe mentions quite, quite correctly, the fear of irritating the base and irritating Trump go hand in hand for any Republican official, and so they stay the heck away from that subject. Uh, you may remember that when he was president, Trump said pretty emphatically that he, he believed Putin more than he believed his own intelligence agencies. And uh, he had a lot of respect for this um, dictator and autocrat who also happened to be maybe one of the three top foreign adversaries to U.S. security, always looking for our vulnerability and how to exploit it. And so uh, it's hard for me to see that, um The war in Ukraine is going to be a really big topic Mm -hmm. uh, because Republicans are not eager to bring it up. And the only way in which the Biden team is really bringing it up is in terms of trying to safeguard democracy and and safeguard a democratic institution from an autocrat. But I don't think that penetrates the blood brain barrier of most voters who are focused on what about my kids, my grocery bills, The cost of gas, uh, my future retirement, money, and and the economy are always the center piece of every election. And if the economy is not doing well, Biden's in a lot of trouble. Right now, it's doing it's actually chugging along pretty well, but people still have uh, lingering fears about the future.
1: Yeah, and, it does. Unless feel like...
4: unless, it, unless of course it blows up and American troops are are somehow. Uh, involved in the right. process, then then, it, then then the war comes home. But otherwise, this is not under radar.
1: It sort of feels like we're in the upside down world here, though. Like given history, like Republicans, you know, are anti-interventionalist. We've heard from you know folks like Ron DeSantis that. We're giving too much support to Ukraine, Carol. You talked earlier about you know the kind of anti-law enforcement um, rhetoric. We, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is it is bizarre to think about back twenty years to you know the war in Iraq and G- George W.'s administration and just like how far. These sort of things have shifted, right? right. This, like, very. Reagan,
4: Reagan's three legged stool of uh, where's foreign policy? Yeah. I hear it really has not. It's it, not uh, that, that stool is uh, in the fireplace.
1: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Biden. Uh, Carol mentioned the economy. One listener writes if you're a Democrat, we have to support Biden. If you're a Democrat, you are crazy not to support him. Okay. So, yes, he's a centrist in many economic policies, but he's still pro labor, pro choice, pro student debt forgiveness, pro reparations policy. Etc. Another listener writes: Why is nobody talking about the second elephant in the room? Would a Biden ticket be more attractive without Kamala Harris, Joe?
4: <laughs> oh, oh that—that's not happening. That is not happening. But uh, yeah, no, her her numbers are, are even worse than the president's. Uh, it, as much as you can trust a, a, a polls on a, on a vice president, uh, but that's that is, is so not happening.
1: I mean, why is that? Like, there it, it felt like. Kamala Harris, you know, was such this rising star. Obviously, her presidential run sputtered, and that's how she ended up in the number two slot. But it really does feel like like a lot of that sparkle has kind of vanished. Like, she's not getting a lot of love from the base. I mean, this listener is like, drop her.
4: Oh, yeah. No, this uh, she isn't. And if, we'll remember, even in California, when she was running for president, she was running, I think, fourth here in her own home state, where she had been elected uh, statewide three times. Uh, But but she's not that would uh, Biden would lose the base of the party if he replaced her on the ticket uh, in in about 30 seconds.
1: So but you don't think I mean, do you think she would be strong enough to run on her own, though?
4: That's boy, that's that's when you wonder if uh, Newsom would come out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, he is he said he's not going to run against Biden. They're their best buddies now. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if she sputters, if she you know, if he were not able to serve uh, or run be in capacity in some way and she were the nominee and she were in trouble and who would that's when you might see people stepping up, other Democrats stepping up to run against her. But until then, you, you know, not not the first black woman, uh, first Southeast Asian woman on on the presidential ticket no way you would they would kill you the base of the party would be in revolt
1: interesting all right goats in point richmond go ahead
4: goats
6: yeah oh hey uh thanks for taking my call uh i just wanted to comment uh quickly on that fifth avenue issue that your guest mentioned earlier um i just i just think the uh, this issue needs to be uh looked differently uh in terms of relationship to Trump's accountability and to his faith. And I think if if these two issues are mixed, it's it's very annoying, actually, because Trump should be uh, held accountable regardless, and that his faith is standing with him regardless of his accusations. That's a separate problem that Mm -hmm. we should also address. Right, a legal problem Mm
1: -hmm. versus a political problem.
6: Well, also a problem that goes down to the core of what is our country all about. Yeah. Because the United States, the strength was always the values that are a base of this, that people take values more fundamental as partisanship and any other thing. Yeah. And that that is really the core of that problem. So it shouldn't distract from going after after Trump, but we should at the same time also address this problem and communicate it to people and try to basically make this a subject that we have to go back so that we all have values that we share and that we can gather around and yeah. be a community and be a nation. Because if we lose that, then everything goes out.
1: Thanks, Gutz. I appreciate it. I mean, Caroline, this is exactly kind of the the dilemma that I think law enforcement has found itself in when they're thinking about these investigations and all the reporting you've done. You
3: know, it makes me think about a piece that Sue Gordon, who was essentially the deputy director of intelligence uh, under Donald Trump, uh, it was a career position. She'd been in intelligence positions for a long, long time. And she wrote the other day that, you know, no one countenanced a world in which we couldn't trust the president or the former president, the departing president, with caring about the nation's security, caring about the intelligence officers and intelligence gathering methods that produce some of the documents he had in his possession um, and and that would be endangered if any of those documents were inadvertently reviewed by our adversaries and got into the wrong hands. Sue Gordon's position was, you know, we're just in uncharted territory because of this new paradigm where we cannot assume the sort of honor of the of the office holder, the highest one in the land, to put country first. Mm. Uh, every president is putting himself first in some way or another, right? We've all watched White Houses with craven motivations and efforts to try to get reelected that were maybe dirtier tricks than the last. But this notion of, at the end of the day, wanting to be sure that you were at least protecting the country's interests that's something that kind of has faded with donald trump and it has tested the country and its institutions it tested the department of justice when it had to look at whether or not um you know, it, it's, it's FBI agents and and many of its prosecutors were saying, look, there's a factual basis to investigate this individual for crime. But there was such anxiety about whether or not that would appear political to go after a former president who should, in all normal historical contexts, be given the benefit
1: of the doubt. You're listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and today for Mina Kim. Well, right. And not investigating him would seem to go against our principles as well. Like it's it is kind of this catch 22. You do understand, um, I think, some of the challenges that this has posed for the Justice Department. Um we have uh, a listener asking Joe, please talk about how the new laws Congress passed last year are being implemented. So much good stuff. How's it helping deal with climate change and other serious needs? The news media never talks about it. Please tell us the details. People don't know so they think Biden and Democrats haven't done anything. I mean, I will note the president and, and others, including the vice president, have been <laughs> kind of on the trail going around doing groundbreakings for these infrastructure investments, right. um, trying to talk about climate stuff. But it, it, so The listener's right. We do not tend to Cover those with the no, same gusto. We we, the,
4: the, yeah, no, the, the, it's hard to get psyched up for a ribbon cutting, but it is very important for Democrats. In fact, we we have our Oakland's own uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm yeah. is is in, in the process of turning the Deep South, <clears throat> going to Republican-held districts and saying, "Hey, you, Who you voted took, against yeah, it but are happy yeah, to as, show as, up as Pelosi, as a as company, Pelosi yeah. says you took the dough and voted no." Or you voted, no one took the bill. I, I, blew, I blew the line. <laughs> it's like, but, uh, but that, and, and so that's, there needs to be more of that. I think other uh, cabinet secretaries are doing the same. Buttigieg is doing it and um, and others. And 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 that's what they need to do. Because the, the, and the president's done a little bit of that. But that that was the challenge when the uh, Affordable Care Act was passed. Pelosi would, was, you know, in the years afterwards, you say, we did not do a good enough job of selling this, of, of telling voters what we actually did and, you know, the the, the next uh, election after it was passed, they, there was a, a shellacking, as President former President Obama said, uh, because of that.
1: Yeah. Well, one listener wants to push back, Carol. One of your commenters said the economy is chugging along very well. Where has she been the last year? Well, the rest of us have been dealing with inflation. And a lot of us who read the news make a <laughs> connection between our taxes paid and billions going to the proxy war in Ukraine. Just a few minutes left, Carol. But, I mean, that does get to the point of, like people's sort of perception on the ground, the reality for, you know, individuals versus the bigger numbers and just kind of selling this in a time. I mean, we're, we're, I think we don't talk enough about we are in this post-COVID economy and it's been a real roller coaster um, for all of us.
3: Totally, totally. There are a lot of numbers that, I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here. I I never used to think really that hard about my grocery bill. Mm. I'm just so stunned when I walk out with, you know, five bags for $200, and I didn't buy anything fancy. Uh, It's just sort of a a stunner that this is the new reality. So I actually agree with the caller who's pushing back on that element, for sure. Inflation, 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 everything costs more. Um, My husband and I were just talking the other day about how we're putting off something that's pretty important in terms of fixing something in our house, Mm -hmm. because it just costs too dang much. But But in terms of job uh, creation, you cannot dispute um, the way the economy's broader macroeconomic signs are looking quite good at the moment. Um, There's been quite an engine for growth. And then you could say that it doesn't Uh, It's not a credit necessarily to Biden. It could be a credit to larger forces. But post-COVID, no doubt helps that we're not all trapped inside our living rooms and we're out and we're going to restaurants and we're going um, on travel and we're getting on planes. We're allowed to now. Uh, But but those bigger features are are looking quite good.
1: It is weird, too, because consumer confidence does seem to be high. I mean, people are spending money, and I feel you. I've got two little boys, Carol. My grocery bill is insane. Um, so if anybody... Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a lot of corn terrible. dogs over the- <laughs> Well, we just did a whole episode this week on how terrible processed food is for us, Joe. So I'm trying to cut up some <laughs> You're carrots. Cutting,
3: cutting down the corn dogs. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. We're going to have to leave it there. Carol Lenning, investigative reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you for being here and all your good work.
3: Oh, thanks for including
1: me. And Joe Garofoli, senior political writer at the San Francisco Chronicle, my old partner in crime. Always a pleasure. Always
4: great to be here, bud.
1: Um, Thank you to our listeners and callers. And thank you to the team here at Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. I've been in this week for Mina Kim. And uh, tomorrow, please join us again. Guest host Leslie McCurk will be here. Have a good one.